0: Thank you for listening to this week's podcast from the Horsham Church of Christ. For more information, please visit our website at www.horsham.org.au Hello again. It's good to be in the house. Gathering is God's people. Um. Just this morning, uh, as we get into the Word, if you uh, have your smartphone, your tablet here, can, uh, I can encourage you, to, you can open up the Bible app and go to the events page and you'll find uh, today's scriptures in there, uh, as always, and that's a handy way to follow along if that's the way that you like. Otherwise, paper Bible, there are paper Bibles up the back behind the control desk. You can go and grab one for yourself if you don't have one with you. Let's, uh, let us pray and then we'll get into God's Word. Father God, thank you for all that you have done, all that you are doing, and all that you are about to do. Thank you that you are the everlasting one. Um, We find our peace, our rest, and our strength in you, in Jesus' name, amen. Do you want to open up your Bibles to Mark chapter 13? We're going to start there as we uh, finish off our series on why do we, our Easter series why do we? One of the favourite questions, particularly for children as they grow up, is why? 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 Who gets, who, parents, do you get sick of the why question? No? Okay, good. Um, and then it goes from why to what? Like, what's that? What's that? What's that? Why are you doing that? Why are you doing that with that? What's that for? What? Because you're just full of questions, because they want to know. They want to learn. They want to discover. It's part of the discovery process. As adults... We get sick of the questions, some of us. Some of us are just, oh yeah, I love answering my child's 100,000 questions a day. It's the way that I love to spend my days, just answering question after question after question. Uh, But for some of us, it might not be as uh, patient as that. The questions just bombard us. But it gets to the point where the questions kind of taper off. But Jesus says we should have faith like a child. And I think one of those reasons... Is because kids want to know, they want to learn, they want to discover. And I think as as children of God, as sons and daughters, we're kind of meant to have this childlike wonder and go, why, 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 what's that, what's that, what's that? Not only with each other, but in our relationship with the Father. To ask Him, why, why are you doing that? What is that, God? Why are you doing that? Why did that happen? And not out of not out of doubt for God, but out of discovery, that we actually want to deepen our relationship with him. So we come to him with these questions, which is what kids are doing when they're asking the question. They want to know more. They want to discover. They want to grow. They've just got this inbuilt desire to, to learn what's happening around them. And I think as followers of God, as followers of Jesus and children of God, um, that we're actually invited into that kind of relationship to discover more of his heart more of his purposes, more of his will and his ways. So we uh, finish off today. Uh, Why do we? And today we're going to talk about why do we care about Jesus returning? So we've looked at why do we confess our sins? Um, Why do we repent? Why do we remember someone who died? Why do we care about the resurrection? Uh, And today we ask the question, why do we care about Jesus returning? Uh, and for some of these, some you might have this all figured out, you might have a real sound argument for why you believe the different aspects of Christian faith and life in God, but for some of us, maybe you're new to the faith or maybe you've never actually asked these questions for yourself. Maybe you grew up in a Christian home and some of the stuff that you know, you don't actually know why you know it. You just kind of assume that that's what everybody knew and so you just kind of rolled with it and didn't ask these questions. Now for some people this question about why do we care about Jesus returning can get really contentious because some people are like oh well I've, I've figured it all out and there's all the different seasons and um, this is where we're at and this is when Jesus is going to come back and this is what's going to happen. But for other, of, others of us and I'm in this camp my general answer to this question is we're well, not even so much about why, why do we care about Jesus returning but when is Jesus going to return, is I don't care. I don't know, and I don't care. Now, not to be blasé about it, but I don't feel that we're actually meant to be super fixated on when Jesus is going to get back. I think as as humans, we love to know how long something's going to take, when something is going to happen. You think about it. When someone says, I'm pregnant, what's the first question? One of the first questions you ask them. When are you due? Like, naturally, we kind of want to know. And, I mean, nobody ever says, oh, it's less than nine months. Like, that's just a given. Isn't it? We want to know, when are you due? When is the baby going to arrive? Another one is when people get engaged. When are you getting married? More and more, the answer, which drives me nuts, is, oh, I haven't set a date yet. I'm sorry, if you're engaged, is anybody engaged in the house today? Before I upset you? No, okay. Um... When people get engaged and they don't set a date soon after, what, why, why not? Like, isn't that why you get engaged? No, but so many people get engaged and don't set a date. Oh, we haven't figured it out yet. When are you going to figure it out? Oh, I haven't figured that out yet. Have you figured out anything? Oh, no, not really. But we want to know. Like, I, I, I'm like this, like it, and I think I've talked about this before. We're going on a trip. I want to know how long it's going to take, when we're leaving, when we get there, and if we stop, if we have an unscheduled stop, that's messing up my timeline. When we arrive has now shifted. Does anybody else like that? Like, it's a five-hour trip. Don't make me wait five hours, not five hours and 15 minutes. Then you have a toilet stop, and it just throws everything out. I'm, I'm more relaxed now. I'm just, hey, we'll enjoy the trip. We'll enjoy the travel. But we want, we want to know how long something's going to take, or when it's... If it's something that we don't enjoy, we want to know, when is this going to be over? Some of us really want to know when church is going to be over. <laughs> well, that was a nervous laugh, that wasn't so a nervous <laughs> No? It's okay. We forgive you. But we just... We go and see a movie. I went and saw a movie with Sophie on Friday. When does it finish? Like We just, we just have this desire. It's like, how long? How, what is the end of this? And so it is in our relationship with Jesus. And, and it's not only a question of Jesus, when does Jesus return or caring about when Jesus returns because that has bigger ramifications, doesn't it, than just when is Jesus going to show up again? And a lot of Christians... and i think i used to be like this i probably softened a little bit in it in that we used to think oh when jesus returns it will all be over and it'll be fantastic and we can get on with the rest of eternity and we'll be peachy and so we just prayed oh jesus would you come back so everything will be better be better but when we look through scripture that's not actually jesus heart for us have a look in mark 13. Uh, Mark 13, I'll read from verse 1 and then skip a few. As Jesus was leaving the temple, one of his disciples said to him, "'Look, teacher, what massive stones, what magnificent buildings! "'Do you see all these great buildings?' replied Jesus. "'Not one stone here will be left on another. "'Everyone will be thrown down.' "'As Jesus was sitting on the Mount of Olives opposite the temple, "'Peter, James, John and Andrew asked him privately, "'Tell us, when will these things happen? "'And what will be the sign that they're all about to be fulfilled?' Jesus said to them, watch out that no one deceives you. Many will come in my name claiming I am he and will deceive many. When you hear of wars and rumors of wars, do not be alarmed. Such things must happen, but the end is still to come. Nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There'll be earthquakes in various places and famines. These are the beginning of birth pains. Can you imagine the four disciples in that moment? Like, have you ever asked a question and then wished that you hadn't? Do you reckon that's what's happening for these four guys? They're like, I thought we were just talking about the temple. And now we're talking about famines and wars and earthquakes. No, maybe it's just me. That's okay. Uh, verse. Let's go to verse 21. At that time, if anyone says to you, look, here is the Messiah, or look, there he is, don't believe it. For false messiahs and false prophets will appear and perform signs and wonders to deceive, if possible, even the elect. So be on your guard. I've told you everything ahead of time. But in those days, following that distress, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light. The stars will fall from the sky and the heavenly bodies will be shaken. At that time, people will see the Son of Man coming in clouds with great power and glory and he will send his angels and gather his elect from the four winds, from the ends of the earth to the ends of the heavens. Now learn this lesson from the fig tree. As soon as its twigs get tender and its leaves come out, you know that summer is near. Even so, when you see these things happening, you know that it is near, right at the door. Truly, I tell you, this generation will certainly not pass away until all these things have happened. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. Isn't that amazing? Jesus actually says heaven and earth will pass away. Not just earth, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. That's astounding. And so here's Jesus having this, disi- this discussion with a few of the disciples, not everybody, and it's kind of this end of the world, apocalyptic finish for the world. They ask a question about the temple and some signs about what's going to happen here, which happened a few decades after Jesus was around, and then Jesus lets them know, oh, well, this is actually what it looks like when I come back. I want to, uh, here's, a, here's a bit of a, a trivia kind of quiz question for you. All right. So this is a a who am I for you, okay? So this person I'm going to describe, born to unwed teenage mother. Mum married a carpenter. Mum's husband wasn't his real father. Had a small group of followers. He was persecuted by authorities of the day. Taught that he was the fulfillment of biblical prophecies. And professed to be from the line of King David. Now, who is that? Jesus? Okay, that is an accurate description for David Koresh, who headed up the uh, Davidian sect in Waco, Texas, who claimed to be the Messiah. Now, we can all sit here and think, well, I wouldn't fall for that. I mean, he looks a little bit like Jesus, Mike, except for the glasses, I don't know. I wouldn't fall for that, but we just did. With all of that, we looked at it and went, oh, he could actually be the Messiah. And all of that is true. His mother had him when when she was 16. His natural father left. She married a carpenter. He did have a small band of followers. He was persecuted by the authorities. He was shot and killed during a siege that lasted weeks. Uh, And he, he believed that he was from the line of King David. Because there are people out there that want to convince us that they're Jesus, that they're the Messiah, that we should follow them because they are Jesus Christ incarnate. But the word that we have from Jesus is not to be waylaid by people that will come and say, hey, I'm Jesus. Even Jesus says, if somebody comes and says, I am he, then not me. And then he gives us an accurate description In verse 26, it says, At that time, you'll see the Son of Man coming in clouds with great power and glory, and he will send his angels and gather elect from the four winds, from the ends of the earth to the ends of the heavens. So, until we see the Son of Man coming in clouds with great power and glory, I kind of feel like when that happens, it's going to be really obvious that it's Jesus. Like that for me is like, All right, well, when I see that, I'm not going to wait for somebody who thinks that they're Jesus. This is what I'm looking for. I'm not going to be waylaid or confused about somebody else that shows up. If somebody walked in and says, Hello everybody, I am Jesus the Christ. You may all fall down and worship me. It's pretty clear that we don't actually need to honour that. And they have some delusional aspect about their life, their personality. What Jesus is doing is he actually invites us to fix our eyes on him and maintain our relationship with him rather than getting distracted and waylaid waylaid by the things of this world, even the people of this world who might say, hey, I'm Jesus. No, no, you're not. Here's the other aspect that we do that I want to highlight. In verse 32, no one, everyone say "No no one, knows about that day or hour. Not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. It's just Father God that knows when Jesus is going to return. Isn't that kind of comforting? Be on guard, be alert. You don't know when that time will come. Thank you, Jesus. It's like a man going away. He leaves his house and puts his servants in charge, each with his assigned task and tells the one at the door to keep watch. Therefore, keep watch because you do not know when the owner of the house will come back, whether in the evening or at midnight or when the rooster crows or at dawn. If he comes suddenly, do not let him find you sleeping. What I say to you, I say to everyone watch. Now, it's not for Jesus here, he isn't actually stirring up this fear about, oh, we don't actually know, so we just got to keep working, 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 working until Jesus returns. No, he's actually saying, I'm going to come back at an appointed time at the time that the Father has appointed, that not even Jesus knew, which is astounding, God and Father are one, but there's this, this piece of information that God conceals from Jesus so that Jesus can be focused on what he's doing in that moment. So not even Jesus is thinking, okay, I'm, gonna, I'm doing this for a while and then I'm going to die and there's going to be a resurrection and an ascension, but give it about oh, you know, 3,000 years and then I'll come back. What would happen if we actually knew when Jesus was going to come back? Have you ever had a project and you have, say you have four weeks to work on it? Now, some of you are really diligent and excellent at time management and you will start with four weeks left. Others of us will fast and pray for three and a half weeks and then start the four-week project. I exaggerate. But if we have four weeks, we know when the deadline is and we work to that deadline, yeah? Those of you that have done a PhD or a thesis or are doing a PhD, you have your deadlines and your meetings with your supervisors. God bless you for doing that. And I thank the Lord God Almighty that I haven't had to do that and ask him never to burden me with that need. But you actually have to space it out. You can't just do... It's like over multiple years. And you have to plan ahead and plan what you're going to do, and when you're going to do it. But you know when the end is coming. So you work towards that. The thing with the return of Jesus is that it's not about the return of Jesus. Because here he gives the illustration. He says, it's like a man going away. He leaves his house and puts his servants in charge, each with his assigned task and tells the one at the door to keep watch. I love that about Jesus. So he says, it's like a man going away. I'm going away. I'm going to be with the Father. John 14, I'm going to be with the Father. And here he says, the servants are put in charge. That's you and me. Each with their assigned task. So while we wait for the return of King Jesus, every single one of us has a task to do. And not just one, it's not just like, well, I'll put the kettle on and I'm done. It's actually fulfilling our God-given gifts and talents and abilities to actually share the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ with the world around us while we wait for his return, because none of us know when it's going to happen. And it calls for this reliance on him, Jesus, I don't know when you're coming back, but do you know what? I know who you've made me to be. You know, I know the gifts and talents that you've given me. I know my purpose is to actually spread the good news of Jesus Christ with the people in my life. Because our aim isn't to sit around like good little Christians and wait for Jesus to return. The extent to which we care about the return of Jesus is that we want many people as possible to, to know that he's coming back and he's coming back for a faithful bride. That's us. And our job, not, not, in a, not in a panic, but maybe we actually need some kind of panic about it. That we don't know when Jesus is going to return. And so there is this. there needs to be this almost urgency, this desire to actually share the good news of Jesus Christ with as many people as possible so that when Jesus does come back for his glorious and faithful bride, there are as many people as possible as part of that bride. Am I making sense? If, if, you, if, you have, if we have a relationship with Jesus and, and the extent of that relationship with Jesus is that I go to heaven when I die, you are missing the full extent of the relationship with jesus because jesus didn't say i have come that you could die and go to heaven he said i have come that you might have life and you have life in abundance and it's not something that just starts off in the future it's not something that starts when you and i die and go to heaven to be with the father it's not something that starts just when jesus returns whenever that might be when when jesus returns that's the end of all of this And this is why I, we don't want to linger on the question, but we want to ask the question. We want to be mindful. Do you know what? There's actually a time when Jesus is coming back. I don't know when that's going to be, but I've got some stuff to do before he comes back. I've talked before. Uh, I think I talked about it at the ABM. Like one of my life goals is to meet my great-grandchildren. It would be like a miracle in, in our family. Um, our grandparents didn't meet my children. So there's like three generations alive on my side of the family. I'm like, I want to meet my great-grandchildren. I'm going to live to be 100. But I'm not going to be like 100, cantankerous and grumpy. I'm going to be 100 and fun. All right? That's my goal. I don't know why you're laughing. It's like, meh. Funny in my own way, you reckon. I'm not sure if that's uh, positive or negative, Steve, but I'll take it as a compliment. So, that gives me 60 years. Once upon a time, I would have thought, 60 years, that's forever. No. It's so, like, more and more, there's this thing inside me that's like, that's not long. Know, the people that are younger me, than me right now are like, no, that's forever. What are you talking about? The people that are older than me are like, hmm, that's not long at all. You don't have long. You need to get a move on. And it's true. And the people the same age as me, they're like, ah, no, I've got time. But 60 years, I don't feel like that's a long time at all. And it's a long time if I think about an earthly perspective and I'm like, oh, this is what I want to accomplish as, as I live out my life. But if I think from an eternal perspective, it's like that. And I have this small window. You and I have this small window. However, you might not have a goal to live to be 100. Whatever your goal in life is. We have this small window to make known Jesus Christ. And the beauty of it is you don't have to do it. You don't, maybe you don't do it from preaching. Maybe you don't do it through communion leading. Maybe you don't even make known Jesus Christ through any aspect of a Sunday morning service, but you do it in your workplace. You do it in your family. You do it in your school. You get to make known the wonder and the majesty and the beauty of Jesus Christ and share the good news of the gospel wherever you are for the shortest amount of time. This is why we want to care about the return of Jesus Christ. It's because God's will is that no one should perish. And if it's God's will that nobody should perish, then it should be our will. It, It cannot be okay with us that there are people that die that don't know Jesus. And uh, like I, l- I loved Faye's communion message, and and the thought about you know this grand old building that has served as the house of God, that just lies in a rubble now. And I love the fact that there's this gold cross and the statue, um, in front of it is actually um the descent of Jesus. It's Mother Mary nursing Jesus, and it survived this horrific fire. And like that's all fantastic, but I'm like. The world gets wound up about a building that burns, yet there are people that die not knowing Jesus. So which one actually matters to us? Which one matters? And I know for many of us sitting here right now, you have family that don't know Jesus. And this burdens your heart. Whether that's parents, whether that's siblings, whether that's children or grandchildren that don't have that personal relationship with Jesus. That has to matter more to us than a building that burns down. It's a beautiful building i get it and so much has happened there absolutely but i'm pretty sure when i stand before the maker of heaven and earth he's not going to ask did you donate to the rebuilding program for notre dame i'm pretty sure the question is what did you do with what i gave you and i don't know if it's measured or not but i i kind of have this wonder about when i get to heaven how many people are going to be there because of what I did. And not as an ego thing, but I'm like, oh, I like how many people am I actually gonna invite into the kingdom? How many people am I gonna share the gospel with? How many people are gonna know about Jesus because I actually did what he asked me to do and use what he gave me and shared the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ? That matters. And you might think, well, you know, it's easy for you, you're a pastor. Uh, and your kids have all been baptised, and your wife's a believer, so it's all peachy for you. (sighs) Yeah, but nah. Like, my family is the way that they are, is because I'm intentional about my faith and my love for Jesus and sharing that and making that the centrepiece of our home. Like, it's not... We are not like that because of luck. We are not like that because Jesus chose us to be some of the, you know, the, the lucky few. We're like that because we care about Jesus and because I decided long ago that I want my family to love Jesus more than they love me. And I thank God for Jesus because my family wouldn't be who they are without Jesus. Does that make sense? We can get wound up, super wound up about end times and when Jesus is going to come back. And you can, look, people way smarter than me have written volumes on what the prophet Daniel was talking about for end times and what Isaiah is talking about what happens in the end what Jesus is talking about in the end and then deciphering and interpreting revelations and you read through revelations about what happens in the end times and you know are we premillennial, millennial post millennial are we part of the tribulation are we not part of the tribulation like if you want to do your head in you go and read about some of this stuff that people study and write about but I feel that so much of that is just a distraction because i i don't think that that's actually what jesus invites us to do matthew um you don't have to turn there i'll read it out to you matthew 28 we know it as the great commission then jesus came to them and said all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me therefore go and make disciples of all nations and make sure they know that one day i'm going to come back and scare them all It's not what it says, is it? Therefore, go and make disciples. I was joking. Just by the like, I'm not making scripture up. It's okay. Therefore, go and make disciples, disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you and surely I'm with you always until the very end of the age. Here's Mark 16's take on it. Mark 16 verse 15. Jesus said to them, Go into all the world and preach the good news to all creation. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. We don't like that message, but this is what Jesus said. And these signs will accompany those who believe. In my name they will drive out demons, they will speak in new tongues, they will pick up snakes with their hands, and when they drink deadly poison, it won't hurt them at all. They will place their hands on sick people and they will get well. Is there anything in Jesus' final words about whether or not we should worry about when he's going to return? no is there everything in jesus final command to his disciples and for us to receive as sons and daughters of god as brothers and sisters in christ is there everything in what jesus leaves us about what we're to do while we're here on earth even a promise from him these signs will accompany those who believe can if you are a believer if you're a follower of jesus christ can you lift your hand all right, here's Jesus' promise for you and for me. In my name, they will drive out demons. They will speak in new tongues. They'll pick up snakes with their hands. At that point, I'm just, I'm just pulling back a little bit. I don't know about you. Like, you might be a snake lover. Not me. I'm like, in my name, they will drive out demons. Okay, Jesus, I'm with you. All right? Scary, but I'll do it. They will speak in new tongues. Excellent. They'll pick up snakes with their hands, and uh, when they drink deadly poison, it will not hurt them at all. All right, Jesus, hang on, time. Snakes. Like, why does he use that as an example? So you don't have to answer me, it's okay. It just freaks me out every time I read it. I'm like, why is that a sign of those who believe? Actually, it's because perfect love drives out all fear. And if you think back to the Garden of Eden, it was the serpent who deceived Adam and Eve... And now it's the snakes that are mere handpieces in the believers of Jesus Christ. They will place their hands on sick people and they will get well. Believers in Jesus Christ, this is the promise that we have. These are the signs that will accompany those who believe. Not a word in there about uh, figure out when I'm coming back. Because if he did, if he said, do this for a couple of thousand years and then I'll come back, we'd all think we had plenty of time. And there would be generations, generations that would not have done the work of the gospel because I thought, I don't have to do anything. He's not coming back for ages. But if you read through the letters that Peter and Paul write in the rest of the New Testament, they're like, it's imminent that Jesus is coming back. We don't have time. Paul writes and says, look, if you're married, stay married. Great. If you're not married, don't get married. Don't worry about it. All right? Continue the work of the Father. Continue to share the good news of Jesus Christ. We don't have time. Now, now look, if you want to get married, get married. Okay? Just do those things. But let us concentrate. Let us fix our eyes on the author and perfecter of faith. Because it all begins and it all ends with him. Here's another aspect that I think is encouraging. Romans chapter 15. I'll finish up with this. Romans 14, sorry. Uh, Verse 9. For this reason, Christ died and returned to life so that he might be the Lord of both the dead and the living. You then, why do you judge your brother? Or why do you look down on your brother? For we will all stand before God's judgment seat. It is written, surely as I live, says the Lord, every knee will bow before me. Every tongue will confess to God. So then each of us will give an account of himself to God. Therefore, let us stop passing judgment on one another. Instead, make up your mind not to put a stumbling block or obstacle in your brother's way. Now you might think, oh, that's kind of a weird verse to throw in there about Jesus returning and what happens when he comes back. You and I, every single one of us and people inside this building, people outside this building, people that know Jesus, people that don't know Jesus, all stand before the judgment seat of God. The beauty of it is it's not up to you and me to judge people because God will do it. God is the loving, mighty, merciful judge that judges each and every person on their heart and what they have done with what he's given them and whether or not they confess Jesus Christ as Lord and Saviour of their life. Not based, like God's not looking for a gathering. God's not calling a jury together and saying, all right, men and women of the jury, uh, what do you think of the person now standing before me? No, no, no. It doesn't actually work like that. It doesn't work like that here and now. Like we don't actually have to worry about judging people we don't have to hold people in judgment we don't have to tell them they're going to hell we have to share the good news of jesus christ the message of the gospel which is life and life in abundance because it is god alone who sits on the judgment seat whenever that is whenever that is and i don't know about you but like that's a we are free from judgment between ourselves. We don't actually have to do that. Yes, we call each other to account and we hold each other to account and we, um, we disciple one another. There is all of that. But on the final day of judgment, it is up to the creator of heavens and earth. Isn't that a load off your back? Isn't that just, oh, I don't actually have to worry about that because when Jesus returns at some point, there is a day of judgment and God will take care of it our responsibility my responsibility and your responsibility is to share the good news of the good news of Jesus Christ and to invite as many people as possible to be a part of what he's doing here on earth before he ever comes back that doesn't even rate in my conversations when i want to tell somebody about jesus there was a, a, a a joke or a sticker that, or a badge or a bumper sticker that went around a few years ago. It was like, Jesus is coming. Everybody, look busy. But maybe, maybe in the church as well, but maybe, you know, so many people outside the church are like, if Jesus comes back, I better look like I'm doing the right thing because if I don't, I'll get busted. It's not even like that. Jesus calls us to watch, to be watching, to be on our guard, to be wary, to be mindful of one day he's going to come back. But we don't actually just lay down tools and just wait for him to show up. You and I have the incredible, awesome, amazing, overwhelming responsibility and privilege to share the love of God with each and every person in the world in which we live. Isn't that amazing? We get to be a part of what God is doing on this earth without an ounce of worry about when Jesus returns. Don't have to worry. We fix our eyes on the author and perfecter, the starter and the finisher of our faith. Do you know why it's called the starter and the finisher, the author and perfecter of our faith? Do you know what you don't need In heaven is faith because before God in the presence of God you don't need faith you're in the presence of the all-knowing and the all-seeing one isn't that astounding I think it is church I want to encourage you We finish up our Easter series and next month it's going to be a lot of fun and quite exciting to hear from the different speakers about various aspects of mission and what people are doing in the world. Don't stop asking questions. I hope and I pray that as a community we stir up this childlike faith that just keeps asking why. Why are you doing that God? Why did you do that God? Why are you like that God? He's such a good father that he answers our questions. That's his promise to us. He's that good. And he's patient, so patient. More patient than you and me. Yeah. Jesus said, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I'm gentle and I'm humble in heart. Amen. And you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. That's the invitation Jesus extends to each and every one of us. He is that good. He's that good. My, I hope and I pray that each and every one of us will have an incredible encounter and revelation of the overwhelming love of God. Because you can't measure it, you can't contain it, you can't do anything with it, but just receive the love that he has for each and every one of us. And then the gift that we have been given is that we get to share that with the world. I pray, I pray, I pray, Jesus, you would just wreck us for more of you. That you would open our eyes and open our hearts and our minds to the wonder and the majesty of who you are, all that you have done and all that you want to do in us and through us. God, may we be watchful as sons and daughters of the living God but maybe we share your love, knowing the way that you have loved us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.